listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 28, Episode 10 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Tappy. And boy, have I been having computer problems. <laughs> In this episode of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Corbin writes in about physics in fantastic RPG settings, and Dirk writes in about leading questions and when they're railroady. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Uh, we also do the show live. It's on Saturday at 10 a.m., 10, 26 a.m. <laughs> Pacific time. Um, maybe earlier than that, if... The computer will work. Everything fucked up this time. Everything <laughs> fucked up. I plugged in. I needed to use the adapter for my iPad that I use for the soundboard. When I plugged it back in, because I, ha- I have to use an adapter, because if I just plug it directly into the into the, because um, I have USB ports on my on the power strip, those make a hum. So I have to plug it into an adapter. And when I plugged it back in, the screen, like the screen circuits in the iPad were fritzing out, and I was seeing like a ghosty ghosty images in it, which has never happened before. And then my laptop is still not, even though I started restarting it over 45 minutes ago, it's still giving me that little circle like it's still doing shit in the background. Maybe it's an update going in. And then the actual streaming computer fucked up as well. All three. It was the trifecta of fuck-ups. <laughs> I love them. So we're, we're back on Saturdays for a while. Um, because I, I have been having work, some, sometimes having to work late. So this is uh, much easier because I don't work on Saturdays. So uh, I'll read the first email. All right. Physics in RPGs from Corbin. Dear Jackers, both happy and otherwise. Corbin Twa here. Oh, I like you done there. Yeah, right? Yeah. That Twa Corbin. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember how that song goes now. As I was walking That's it. Lane, <laughs> I heard Twa Corbin's back in the main. And ain't unto the other didn't say you. Uh, hailing from a great team. but watch and 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 YouTube will ding us because oh that's copyright no it's not um, hailing from isolation station twenty four six zero one and hoping you're all doing well during lock the lockdown era in all in, wow and in, there's a musical reference there too what's the musical reference two four six zero one what's that uh, Les Mis that's Jean Valjean's number oh it is oh I don't even remember. Is there a song of it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm in the process of prepping an online game to run for my temporarily online group once the current campaign ends in a few months and have noticed a growing trend among the other players that I find a little concerning. Anytime the current GM, which is not him apparently, uh, gets a bit creative with events, the players grind the game to a halt to discuss how the physics of the situation work in the real world. For example, 
were having a battle on an asylum rooftop during a violent storm, for which the GM provided some gimmicks around being struck by lightning. Basically, there was a chance someone would get hit by lightning at the beginning of each round, and if they were holding something metal, such as a weapon, an uncommon thing in the setting, um, they would take extra damage. Instead of nodding and going along with the theatrics, the rules lawyer piped up to talk about how actually, depending on the metal, a weapon might be a terrible conductor. There aren't many metals that are terrible conductors. Yeah, I can't think of Steel's fine. Any, I mean, uh, aluminum. Well, aluminum is uh, a great copper's, conductor. Copper's great. And, and um, uh, I mean, the the big bars that go into industrial buildings are made out of aluminum, so it it must work fine. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what kind of metal they're talking about. Lead, but I think lead probably. No, lead's a good conductor. They use it to to solder joints yeah. in uh, on circuit boards. I can't think of a metal that's not a good conductor. Yeah. Is that well I like, can't either. Is that maybe one of the like defining attributes of a metal that it is a conductor? It might just be a uh, like a secondary thing from like how metals are put together. Mm, Could not be. Entirely sure. I don't know. We have the internet. Great. <laughs> uh the how the metal uh, as a weapon might be a terrible conductor, which led a few others to go on how lightning rods work and so on until the GM just cut out the extra damage. Later, when an ally was dangling from the top of an elevator shaft and the villain pulled off a move that caused our friend to drop 40 to 50 feet down into the destroyed elevator, everyone jumped in again about terminal velocity and how, and how, it should totally be, he, how he should totally be able to survive because he may be kind of fucked up, but it's mostly about how you land more than what you land on. Not at terminal velocity. Terminal velocity is really fucking fast. Yeah. Isn't it? Don't people like... Isn't that why people jump off of buildings? When they... Well, could, I to, mean, to hurt you themselves? Land in <laughs> such a way at terminal velocity where you don't die, but it's relatively rare. Right. Like, I, re- I remember there was a weird story that took place in like the 60s or 70s where a, a Russian pilot ejected at like twenty or 30,000 feet... And happened to land in such a way because his parachute failed, and he mm-hmm. landed in such a way that he survived. But that's one guy. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, now squirrels can fall from any height and not die well, that, because with their tail and their arms out and stuff like that, their terminal velocity is lower than what will kill. Oh, because they can create a whole bunch of drag. Yeah. With all that stuff. It's like the squirrel suits that people use when they do that free jumping shit. Oh, man, that'd be so cool. It would, except for that. It, 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 God, I can't remember how, what the statistic was, but they talked about what like the average lifespan of people that do that is. It's <laughs> low. It's like 28. It's, yeah, it's low. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, like, one of those hobbies. It's like you, the, the, the likelihood of you dying from that goes up almost exponentially. I mean, I don't think you're, I, you know, in 50 years, because they've, they've only been base jumping like that with those suits for what, maybe 20 years, 25 years, maybe Something 30. Like so I bet like 20, 30 years from now, there aren't going to be any like 80 year old base jumpers. 
No. I think statistically there just won't be. <laughs> that but, institutional memory just goes away. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so apparently, I just looked it up. There are no non-conductive metals. Okay. All right. And so all metals are conductive, right? Yeah. <laughs> apparently, tungsten and bismuth are metals which are poor conductors of electricity. Bismuth, which is not a particularly good metal for weapons, and tungsten, where in a setting where weapons are very uncommon, seems like it would be relatively difficult to work into a weapon. Yes. So there you go. All right. Um, he may be so so terminal velocity. He may be kind of fucked up, but it's mostly about how you land more than what you land on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the GM acquiesced, and the ally survived, doing pretty okay despite falling about forty-five feet into a ruined elevator. You would die. So how about? I mean, well, at the bottom of the elevator, there happens to be this you know haystack. Well, that yeah. you might that that you might live, but but like all of the workings because on top of an elevator is a messy fucking thing. There's yeah. pulleys and wheels and all kinds of stuff because they don't and they don't all the metal is jagged because no one's supposed to be there anyway, so they don't have mm-hmm. to worry about that. And falling on non-flat surfaces, especially made out of metal, <laughs> uh, tends to be very difficult for the person falling. It's very knifey. Yeah, it's quite knifey. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, and so, uh, this is a game where one character can literally open himself up and consume another person whole. Another is the queen of heaven, and my character can trans- transform into a shadowy avatar of bestial rage. Wow, this sounds like my kind of game. Right, except <laughs> except they're using like physics arguments about why they shouldn't take damage. Yeah. My question is this. How do I mitigate this sort of tangent about real life versus the in-game universe? I don't want to lord over the players going, do not question my authority. Um, anytime they have a concern about something, if it doesn't make any sense. But I also don't want them drag, dragging this sort of devout adherence to the laws of fig- physics, which I think we just disproved, that they are not based on laws of physics, <laughs> um, uh, into a fictional theatrical world. Do you have any experience with players who fight so hard for this level of realism in the game? How do you manage them? Thanks to all, and all the best to you, in your isolation stations, Corbin. I, first off, these are munchkins. I'm going to, I'm, I'm trying to, 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 uh, always look at people's arguments in the most charitable way. It's one of the, the things I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, however... This this makes it very difficult <laughs> because I I am not seeing a good faith attempt to create realism. I'm seeing we want to win and not have repercussions when things don't go the way we want them to go. Things must always go our way, right? Which is the most boring goddamn game in the world, right? <laughs> I mean, if you never, if if every victory you had happened without any any chance or you know of bad die rolls or or possibly being injured, because I mean, it's not, I mean, at one point he's talking about killing him, but at another point it's just like just extra damage. I don't know what system they're playing, but I mean, some systems extra damage can kill you, 
but in a lot of them, no, not really. So I don't know. But it seems to me that the arguments they're making aren't arguments based on their understanding of physics. It's their arguments based on their understanding that they don't want their characters to take damage. Mm -hmm. That's what it seems like to me. So I personally think this is a bad faith argument, and it seems like it on the surface that it is. Maybe no one's ever taken a physics class and doesn't know that metals are conductive. I'm assuming that they're made out of metal. They're not made out of wood. Wood doesn't conduct. Ice. I don't know if ice conducts. It might. Maybe it's an ice weapon. Maybe it's like dritz. However, even wood, I mean, trees get hit by lightning all the time. That's true. If they're the highest thing and they have like a wooden staff, that very well could, could do the thing. That, that's true. That's true. And lightning, it, it's, from my understanding, it is, I mean, it, it, it gets attracted to, to, to lightning rods and shit like that, to metallic objects. But it's really looking at the difference in the, I can't I don't even know what they call it. But it's like, if the, the, the amount of positive and negative ions. The, the charge? The yeah, whatever the, the charge is, and it's trying to equalize it, right? Isn't that mm-hmm. basically what's happening? Yeah. So, you don't, you, can't, you don't control how many positive or negative ions you have, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Unless that's your superpower. I mean, one's the queen of heaven, so maybe they can, you know. I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's not physics. Right. And like, I have never had a player like this. Um, and that's good because, number one, my stories rely on the players fucking up. Because that's how I like jump off to what's actually happening. Right. Like, I, I like to set them in some situation where they have to act, and then how how they succeed, but also how they fail determines, you know, the direction that whatever bad thing is happening goes. Um, so if somebody just never wanted bad things to happen, they're going to have a bad time in my game. Right. Um, and yeah, it's none of these arguments are actually good arguments. No. And I, I don't think I, I don't think the players... I don't know. Is this like a cheat code thing, maybe? Did you ever notice when you play a video game, and then when you, it, it's like when you when you when you use cheat codes, you kind of like break through this barrier, and suddenly the game's not fun anymore. You know what I mean? Well, and also like you can't not do it. Right. Like I can't put any cheat codes. I can't use. If I use mods, I have to be like, okay, this is now going to be insane. So I have to play the game first, then use the mods because. I'm going to use all of the stuff, even sure. if it's broken, because it's there. Right. Um, and so maybe maybe that's what it's like, too. Like, this person knows they can do it. Maybe. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like... Because, like, when I used to remember Doom... I don't know if you remember Doom. Oh, of course I remember okay. Doom. I, I remember Casual Wolfenstein 2. The... AFJK, I don't remember what it was, but there was this cheat code you put in that gave you like 50 lives and you could get any gun you want. And it gives you all the weapons. So you get the BFG 9000 and you go on and boosh, boosh, you start blowing people up left and right. And that la- that lasts until you finish the game and it's th- and then the game's no more fun. Whereas if you go through it without the cheat codes and actually have to find the weapons and actually are in danger of dying every so often, it's a much more rewarding experience when you make it to the end of the game. Right, mm-hmm. I would think that would be the same thing with a role-playing game. 
absolutely. for most people. So I don't know, but it seemed it sounds like I don't mean to ascribe uh, bad intentions to their arguments, but it sure seems like the the at least the did. examples you're giving are them trying to argue their way out of getting damage. And I don't see them saying, "Oh no, no, the physics of this, I should probably get killed." Was there ever that argument? <laughs> My guess is no. And argue when you're arguing about dr- falling and the term terminal velocity comes into it, that should never result result in a in a reduction of damage. Yes. If you're getting to terminal velocity, unless you're a squirrel. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, unless the damage would go far beyond that. It's like, okay, well, you're going to take 1 million D6 damage. Like, right. okay, well, maybe we should shorten that to 150 D6 right. because of terminal velocity. All right. How many hit points do you have? 14? All right. <laughs> Let's do this. Skabloosh. <laughs> We sat down and figured out once how much, back when I used to play groups, how much it would, like in a, in a normal, like, uh, at, at, it's like sea level, what a normal person falling at terminal velocity, how many dice of damage they would take. I don't remember what it was, like 117 dice or something like that. Somebody did that with uh, AD&D at one point based on their falling rules and uh, how high you would need to fall to reach terminal velocity. And they're like, yeah, a, a level 10 character can fall from any height and survive because I, that's just how this game works. Right. Well, we discovered that in 5th edition D&D when we were playing a, a, a campaign here. Because Kimmy had a character who was 8th level or ninth level. And she they, they were on this platform and someone got a critical failure on a attack roll like some kind of ranged attack and it i figured it blew out the the sort of undercarriage of this platform she was on in this like mining area so it all fell out and so the the platform she was on collapsed and says okay you're gonna take falling damage we figured it was like 25 feet or 50 feet i don't remember how much it was there was no there was like zero chance of her dying at all Mm -hmm. from that height and it was i mean jumping 20 you're gonna fuck yourself up jumping 25 feet yeah, that's like two stories. Yeah, that I mean that you're you're I mean, and and fifty feet, fifty feet, you're breaking stuff. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Like you're probably breaking stuff at twenty five, unless you happen to know how to roll and get it just right. Mm-hmm. Which unless who has like that experience? Paratroopers. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that's about it. <clears throat> so I have a friend uh, who is a paratrooper for a long time. He's fifty one. Decided to skateboard for the first time. Break a hip. Turns out, no. Turns out he remembers exactly how to tuck and roll. (laughs) Whenever you hear 50 years old and skateboard, (laughs) usually you end up hearing about a broken hip. (laughs) I'm just saying. That's the only thing that stopped me from buying one. (laughs) But I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they're making good faith arguments. I I mean, I've had players argue, you know, and rules have arguments with people. And sometimes... that people who argue like that tend when you actually go in and look at the rules a lot of times you find out that they're not actually they're not reading accurately or not remembering the rules accurately so because <clears throat> I don't I don't know why it is but there's some people there's some players who just don't want bad things to happen to their character just like there are other players who revel in bad things happening to their characters mm-hmm. you know the more complicated 
their, their, their character's situation is, the more complicated they make their own situation by their bad choices, the happier they are as players. And this is just the opposite people of, from that. And I know you could, I mean, if you really want to try to make this not happen, which I can understand because it's frustrating, I would suggest, I would suggest to, before the game starts talking with them and say, hey, I noticed that a lot of times that some arguments happened and I don't know if you want to go into the factualness of the arguments, but to say, just let them know, I, I'm, I, I, I want the game to be immersive. I don't want it, it to, to, to break out into rules arguments and stuff like that. So if anyone has any questions about how things are resolved, this is something that I do a lot. We'll, we'll wait until after the game session and discuss it. You know, but what we're, but we'll, 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 we'll go with whatever my ruling is at the moment because I'm looking to make a, a, an immersive experience and arguing rules in the middle of a, of a tense combat is not induced, con, conducive is, to that. Makes it less tense. Well, it's a different kind of tense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Not the, not um, the, not the fun kind of tense. <laughs> What what I would do with this person say okay you we've had some trouble with uh with physics here so what are the physics behind um a shadowy avatar of bestial rage right. how do I how do I breathe <laughs> right um what happens to my cells I mean do you, I I haven't read any papers on this I, I assume you have because it's it's so important to have this this kind of physics realism in this game. So I just I just want to know. I don't know what will happen when a shadowy avatar of bestial rage gets hit by lightning and falls off the rooftop. Right. So, or if know, someone's but, iPhone goes off with a notification when you happen to be walking through them. Exactly. Is it going like, to interfere with them? Does it make you disappear? <laughs> the, if someone is the queen of the night, what are they can they like command the stars how does that happen like i don't i, I haven't i haven't read any peer-reviewed studies about somebody <laughs> commanding the stars to fall from the sky so uh, you know i, I want to know these i'm i'm afraid that what you're using are are journals that are not well respected <laughs> so what i'm i'm only going to accept like arguments from from nature let's say that's what I'm most or, or maybe are. lancet <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so is that okay? Can we use that as okay? Cool. <laughs> the the <laughs> journal of mechanical physics. <laughs> there, there's no way. I mean, I got into. I was arguing at one point. I forget what it was, but I was like, I had super gotten into guns at that point because I was like fifteen or sixteen. And there is a, a movie with vampires in it, and like they didn't reload fast enough, or they didn't reload. Like they fired like fourteen shots or something, and I realized. It's a vampire. Like, who cares? It's a vampire. Right. It, it doesn't matter. That that clip could have one more bullet in. It could be, like, a different thing than what it looks like. But also, it's a vampire. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. It could have mind bullets. Like, it, it may never have to reload because it... it it uses the the pain and and the torture of its millennia long existence to create bullets of pure hatred to destroy these people. Like I don't know. So right. once there are vampires, all of your physics things are just out the window because there are no more physics because it's right. It's done. Or you have to figure out what your physics are going to be, and clearly no one has done that. Yeah. And 
and consistency is important, right? Once yes. once you have a magical world, your magic should be consistent so it it feels real. Yeah. Um, because the human brain always looks for patterns, mm-hmm. and when something doesn't fit, our brain kind of well, not really. Well, sometimes we're excited about it, but it's like that's not that's different. That is not real, or that is wrong, or stuff like that. So, especially in a long term game, people might have that. Right. Or or, or make them play a a PBTA game, and and then they then they get to decide that metals don't conduct electricity. Well, when they get only, a really good role, <laughs> only if you decide to. That's the thing with PBTA is like you never have to let the players decide what happens. You can do it all the time. It's just it's like if you want once in a while, you can let them do it. Right. <laughs> so you let everybody else decide except this guy. <laughs> you know what? And I would I would probably have a little more respect for their arguments if their arguments were correct. Yeah. I mean, the whole terminal velocity thing, there's a reason people jump off buildings to try to kill themselves. And, and they're succeed. usually super effective. Especially when they land on hard things. And even if there weren't sharp metal bits at the bottom <laughs> of a thing, of an elevator shaft, I'm pretty sure there's concrete. And falling on the concrete, turns out... Right. Uh, doesn't go well. No. All right. Uh, Corbin, thank you for the email, and I'd be interested to find out what happens when you actually start running your game to see if you end up... And, and send us those arguments. I, I love when 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 Munchkin players are coming up with bad arguments for why their character shouldn't take damage. You want to read the next one? Leading questions from Dirk. Sure. Uh, Dear Jackers of Happiness... It has been a while since I last wrote in, but I have a question where I'm interested your take on it. Uh, when are leading questions okay as a tool to collaboratively create fiction, and when are they too railroady? Uh, oh, this fits in what we were just talking about. Kind of, uh, yeah. Use, the use of leading questions to create fiction is a part and parcel of any powered by the Apocalypse BBTA system. Direct advice to do so uh, usually contained in the GMing section. Uh, this is not or less so with more traditional RPGs. Let's take the case of Jan alone, a holler pilot with a shady past, in whatever your favorite traditional sci-fi system slash setting. Jan alone, I walk into the cantina. GM, you are greeted by the god-awful music of Alien Orchestra over the din of drunken spacers arguing over card games. As the door closes behind you, you see a bounty hunter known as Grievers, and it looks like he's been waiting for you. Who have you pissed off in the past to the extent that they would hire bounty hunters? What did you do that pissed them off? Do you think this is all too railroady? Is it unfairly dumping fiction creation on the player? Would you feel ambushed or would you be enthusiastic to create this fiction? For bonus points, who shoots first? Who shoots first? Uh... In my experience, when the player group is on board, this can add a lot of flavor to the characters and backstories, and more meaning to the events at hand. The alternative would be for the GM to come up with something that fits uh, their understanding of the player's backstory, but maybe doesn't fit all that well for the player, or even have this come entirely out of the blue, which would engage the player even less. The above example depends on the player already having indicated a shady past. I don't think it would work to put the same question to the upstanding librarian, with no meddling 
uh, with the criminal underworld in her past. So can we distill some criteria and hints when such leading questions are an okay tool? Uh, use leading questions only for players to add flavor or use them to add meaningful content that may even come back and bite them. Use leading questions only during character creation to help flesh out backgrounds or throughout the game. Is this something that you're uh, to discuss with your players beforehand, especially when playing more traditional RPGs? <clears throat> what do you do when a player repeatedly notes the questions? Any other thought or advice? Keep up the good work. Cheers, Dirk. P.S. Hydrate. Oh, I'm drinking PPS, water. New season of Inukai. When, please, pretty, pretty, please. Maybe. The next thing I'm going to run is GURPS. We're going to finish. We have one or two more sessions, probably one, of uh, Call of Cthulhu. And then I'm going to finish up my Vampire um, uh, Glittering Night game. After that's done, I'm going to start a GURPS game. Because I've never run, I've realized that I've never run GURPS on an AP. And it's the one system I can run without looking in the rulebook. <laughs> Although I'm going to have to brush up because it's been years since I've run it, and it, I'm mm-hmm. be using fourth edition rather than third. But, it, but that, it, but and that won't be a samurai game. That won't be an Inokai game because if I run that, I'm going to run that in L5R. Mm-hmm. Did they ever fix the new L5R and make it like a playable game or no? Not that I'm aware. of. Okay, I didn't think so. Um. So y- y- using leading questions only for the players to add flavor or use them to add meaningful content that may even come back and bite them. I have some strong feelings about this. Okay. And my strong feeling is with all PBTA games, if you're going to run them, especially, um, but I think everybody should run or play the actual Apocalypse World first. Mm -hmm. Because compared to the rest of the PBTA games, especially like the second and third and fourth generations that are kind of coming out now, um, it's very rules light. Right. Um, and there's a lot of really good... I mean, any anybody who wants to GM a game should read the book because there's just stellar GMing device throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things, like I said before, is, is like, this is something to use judiciously. Um, and it's to, like, let the players... Not even, like, so much as... as um, uh, give to the collaborative fiction, but also just like um, kind of how it says here, like flesh out more of their characters. Like, what is your backstory with this person is something you could do. I would use that mostly in the session zero. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And now you're, you're fleshing out your character. We're, we're asking all these questions. To make con- connections between the player characters. Right, right. right. Um, oh, and, and also the world. Like, this is this is a, a perfectly cromulent uh, thing to do because, like, okay, we're now establishing your uh, attachment to the criminal underworld. Okay, right. Right. Uh, some of these questions are like, what did you do to piss him off? Already is, is more railroady than why is he waiting for you? And I think that is more right. important. Is why is he waiting for it? Oh, he's pissed off and wants to kill me. Right. Or he has information about somebody that I'm looking for. And that allows, because you're already established a negative connection with 
the group or with the, this underworld. So if you're trying to do a collaborative fiction sort of scenario, it should be much more open-ended. If you've already decided that Griba is going to shoot him or her or uh, whomever, right? Um, <clears throat> then that's already that's already decided. And the, the reason behind it might be compelling for them to do, but that's also compelling for them not to know. Mm-hmm. And most players are going to want to know, are going to want to jump on that. And I think that it's much more compelling to have stuff going in the background. Because um, GMing in Apocalypse World, there's a lot of focus on threats and what threats are doing behind the threat moves based on what you do. So if you shoot Griba, the threat of the underworld is going to make a move to do something that will that will affect you and affect the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the consequences of that are very interesting, but I think that the GM should be using their threat moves as opposed to have the player simply make stuff up at that point. Right. Yeah, I, I was kind of taken aback by the fact that they was using a leading question in what looks like the 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 meat of the game rather than in a session zero. Because session zero, even if like you want to make connections with NPCs and stuff like that, that's a good time to do that. Mm-hmm. And also for for the for the players to create NPCs that the GM can populate the world with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if a player repeatedly nopes the questions, you're asking too many questions. Right. I think. Well, I mean, there. I mean, if you're if you're if you're playing in a in a in a, in a non PPT game, a traditional like D and D or you know just a traditional role playing game, this is a concept that really didn't wasn't around then. You won't, you're not going to find a lot of rule books from the '90s that talk about leading questions, <laughs> right? <clears throat> right. Um, so, so you're, you're you're adding something into a game where players have a lot of players ha- have a certain concept. About railroadiness and about you know I, the the only thing I get to control is my character, so the GM doesn't get to determine anything about my character. You maybe can veto things, but if I decide my character you know lived lived in this place and you know these were his parents' names, the the, the GM doesn't get to change any of that stuff. So you you I think you you may run into players who are going to bristle at this kind of thing, and I, I and. But again, if it's in a session zero, I think that's probably that. That's where the, the most this these kind of questions belong. It seems to me. Mm-hmm. And and I think if you're if you're asking them in a session zero and they're noping them, eh, you know, then maybe they're an orphan, right? And they have no past, have and no, they have amnesia. I have no family. That that, that guy. But I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't. Is it railroady? Yeah. It, it, I mean, even even your question is like, why is the bounty hunter there? Why is he looking for you? Not necessarily shooting you. Um. It's still making an assumption, but I, I mean, if you're create, if you're creative, like when we talk about yes and and yes but, you know, it, it could be because the question he asks is that there's, there's this bounty hunter there. Why would someone? What, what what have you done to piss someone off to send a bounty hunter after you? Oh well, I would have done this, but they wouldn't send Greedo because he and I are friends. 
Right. Right. So you're saying, okay, I will accept the fact that there's a bounty hunter looking for me, but that's not this guy. This guy's maybe here to warn me. Because maybe he got offered the job and turned it down. So, I mean, there's ways you can... There's plenty of ways you can can twist (laughs) yes-anding and turn it into something else. And I don't think it's necessarily um, inappropriate to do that. I think that the question... Go ahead. Sorry. No, finish here. But I I don't... I, I, I just think it's weird to start putting leading questions in the actual narrative of the game once the game has started... That to me, because especially I know we've had d- discussions like this before. Like I don't play very often, but when I do, I want to be immersed. I'm not GMing. I don't want to have to come up with stuff. That's your job. You're the GM, right? Which is a very traditional RPG attitude. So don't ask me questions. You tell me, and then my, me and my character will react to it. That's what that's that's what I like doing when I'm playing. I like that as well. Um, it's it's neat to be able to do like something once in a while. Um, but again, like yeah, I want to play my character. I want to play like my thing. There are people like Jim who just love telling stories with other people, right? Um, and that's that's cool. That's your jam. If, if I'm playing, I want to, I I, I want to play. And if I'm GMing, then I'm gonna you know go hog wild, right? Um, I kind of feel like people should think about asking the players questions in good faith kind of like what well maybe not exactly how you're talking about before but like these leading questions again like you're you're making it seem like they're collaborative they're being collaborative with you but they're really not like why is he pissed off at you well how much does that reason affect what's happening now um, it, it has the ability, if you come up with a really good one, to have long-standing like repercussions. But then again, like the that's the GM's job, right? So it's not really either you're a GM foisting your job upon other people, which is not really in good faith, or you're having somebody make a decision that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having your players make decisions that don't matter, or they matter too much and they're almost afraid to make you know a bad thing because people might be mad at them or might change everything etc um those are a problem with open-ended questions but yeah i mean i i think they should be in really open-ended big questions are ones that should be early in the game to establish stuff to where you're going to go later on um one thing i like to do that i found players love doing in any system is when something dies, especially a big bad. Well, uh, yeah, like little goons, not that, not that much, but like a big bad. Like you kill him. Tell me how he dies. Right. Because again, like that's a fun thing. They kind of get to like talk about how cool their character is, but they're not making up new stuff. They're not being a GM for you. And the character's still dying. This is not going to have like any big, huge standing repercussions on anything. They just. Uh, talk about how rad their character is for a little bit and i haven't found anybody who really hates that yet no I, and yeah i don't know now uh, his other his other things here so so i we're, we're kind of in agreement about using leading questions in session zero rather than throughout the game 
Mm-hmm. We're, I think we're in agreement with that one. Absolutely. To add flavor or to add meaningful content, I think per- personally, if you're asking those questions, it's to add content. Mm-hmm. I think that's the assumption everyone is making. Yeah, if I if I were to ask your character, uh, whose wedding was it that you and so and so's character met at? Like and then if they we're, come if up we're, with it, and never happened to be it. Right, we're coming up with a connection. Maybe it's one of your weddings, which means one of you is either married or now separated or divorced, or it, you're creating an NPC, or you're establishing that another character at the table it's, it was their wedding, and they're, you know, you're 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 changing things, and you're changing things in meaningful ways. It's uh, Chekhov's leading question. Yeah, exactly. So I, I adding, I, I mean, I, I, meaningful content and adding flavor. I don't know. I don't know. Adding flavor is, if you're talking like just superficial stuff that'll never come up, I guess. My dogs are howling. Maybe the house is on fire again. No, a a siren went by, and it didn't get really loud, so that the fire engine did not stop in front of my house. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay, um, is this something to discuss with your players beforehand, especially when playing in a more traditional RPG? Yes, I think if you really want to do it, right. It's a great way if you have people make characters, and they haven't and and they haven't come up with connections on their own. It's a great way to come up with connections Mm. early on, especially just so it's not the we're going to start in a bar and you're all strangers and you're sitting at different tables and why? How am I going to get you all to sit at the same table? That that thing. (laughs) Yeah, right. The the age old tavern. One thing you should remember here is that it is not the player's job to answer these questions right, right. and that is that it like the player's job is to play their characters it's a a role-playing game not a uh gm playing game sure right and so if you want to discuss it beforehand with them and be like hey i i, I kind of want to do this thing and they agree to it then right on but uh i don't know it seems i would be a little trepidatious if somebody put that much stock in it because then it's going to happen all the time right and i i don't play role-playing games to sit around and tell campfire stories um i i will totally sit down and write a bunch of fiction about stuff that i'm making up and that's cool um, we're even, you know, right with other people, and that's totally fun. But that's that's not why I play role playing games. No, right. Yeah. And there, I mean, there are people that do play role playing games exactly for that. Yeah, it's a yeah, sort like of Jim. Jim loves that, and and it's the sort of like uh, it's kind of like the writer's table sort of way of playing a role playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was playing with Jim and Tomes this game, and and there are no dice, and you just sit around and just talked about why the skeleton is doing stuff. Mm, talk about why the skeleton is doing stuff in a uh, a dungeon for like an hour and a half, and it was fine. I had a good time hanging out with with friends, but it it was not satisfying. I don't I don't find that satisfying if I'm making up what's happening all the time. Right, right. I mean, the game part of it for the GM is is when the players throw those those curveballs at you. And then you have to like really you know think on your feet. That to me is is the, is when it gets fun. It's also sometimes uncomfortable. It's like oh, fuck! I didn't expect they were going to do that. Now I have to figure out how that's all going to fit in with the, the what's going on in the in my mind, 
as far as what's going on in the background. And I mean, th- that that's the fun part as the GM. And if yeah, you yeah. throw that stuff onto the players all the time, why, why, why are you jamming? <laughs> uh, and yeah, like coming up with the repercussions of some weird or different thing that they've done, that's my jam. Like, right. That's that's how I run my games. And so telling them to what are the repercussions and uh going with that yeah, I feel that that robs me of of what's most fun for me. Right. Now uh, uh what do you do when players repeatedly nopes the question and chromatic chameleon asked just in the in the chat room just asked the same thing. What that this is great until players flat out refuse to answer the questions. And Stop I mean asking questions. Right. Yeah. Th- th- you're done. The the I mean there there is that that sort of player mindset, which is n- not necessarily unjustified. That the more information you give the player, the harder your character's life is going to be. <laughs> and there are, and and sometimes not to the fun point. I remember we used to play when back when we used to play GURPS. I had one player who took a character who had the cursed disadvantage, mm-hmm. and the cursed disadvantage was huge. It was like, I don't remember how many points you got bonus for it, but it was a, it was like 60 points. It was a, I mean, bad disadvantages in GURPS are like 15, right? Mm-hmm. Like unlucky might be a 15 point disadvantage. And I think in with unlucky, it was like once per hour of game time, the GM does something. Um, they had very specific words they used to describe it. Um, arbitrary and malicious to the character. (laughs) Once per hour. So you set a timer and it's once per hour, something really bad is going to happen to you, right? But if it's, but if you get the cursed thing, I I don't even remember what all the rules were, but it was things like if something as bad is going to happen to one of the characters, it's going to happen to the character who's cursed. If someone has a, you know, a a critical failure on something and and someone's going to get hurt, it's going to be the cursed player. And then it, it, it's just like you and, and we. I had a player take it, and after, um, a certain number of sessions, I don't remember how many it was because I'm like I'm like you really want to take that because you want a character who's cursed, right? Yeah, okay. So I, I'm just just slamming on him all the time, and finally, I, I don't know, two or three sessions in, he's like, yeah, this is not a fun disadvantage to take <laughs> I'm like I'm, I said I'm really trying to be true to the rules because you took it wanting a cursed character and it's telling me I have to be arbitrary and malicious every 15 minutes to you or whatever you know whatever the rules <laughs> said I don't remember and it just it just got to point it was hard for me to do it it's like I feel you feel like you're picking on the guy and you are it's fate picking on the character and mm-hmm. and you're playing fate and, and and I'm just not that malicious and arbitrary <laughs> So, I mean, I think I t- completely got way off of whatever we were talking about. <laughs> oh, if so the player repeatedly nopes the thing, at some point you're going to have to say, okay, we're going to be done with this. And, and that, that, I, I remember what I was talking about now. Okay, it's the mindset that the more information that you give the GM, the harder your character's time time is going to be right because mm-hmm. there are gms out there who would get this a player character with this curse thing and revel in doing this session after session hour after hour and just constantly d- d- love doing this kind of thing 
So I understand why there there are players, especially older players of traditional older games, are going to be like, oh, no, I don't want a player to know who my family is because if I, it's like it's like doing a podcast. Like I don't want people to know where I work. <laughs> you might fuck with me if you know where I work, or if you know where my house is, it, it, you might screw around with me. Same kind of thing. I don't want the GM to know who my parents are. <laughs> you might fuck with them. But then again, you got the I, players who are like, no, yeah. Torture my character. I I think if it's a problem for you and your GMing style that somebody isn't answering questions, you need to look real hard at your GMing style. Mm-hmm. Because it is not the player's job to GM for you. Right. And this is something we're going to do again and again and again. So like if it's if it's a problem, if it's a real problem that somebody doesn't want to answer, you know. Why is this person angry at you? I don't know. Okay, you don't know why this person is angry. Okay. Um, uh, hey, what happened to your farm? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay, because you should be able to answer those questions. And if you are doing it just to make your job easier, you, you should stop doing it. Yeah. And you should, you should GM your game. If you're doing it because it is fun and engaging for the players to allow them to do something extra or special with them, or again, like establish connection, establish like this world around you in a session zero, or maybe in the, even in a session one. Um, uh, that's that's different than making players GM for you. Right now, um, uh, Dirk Gurv, uh, I'm not. Sure, I entirely agree with gr- agree on quote putting the GM's job on the players end quote, but that may be a matter of group dynamics. Uh, if if your players enjoy telling stories with each other, um, then that's fine. But I think that the GM should be very judicious in asking these questions of their characters. Right. And, and again, like in, I, I feel like PBTA, the concept of it, has morphed and changed over these uh, generations of this rule set uh, to something very different uh, to what is in actual Apocalypse World. And again, I everybody who GMs should read Apocalypse World First Edition back to back. If you can get, and if you can get through, if the you're running PBTA. Books. If you can get that- if you can get through the annoying prose, <laughs> I tried reading it and I'm like, this is the kind of book I'm going to throw across the room. <laughs> Please use a complete sentence just once, because <laughs> because they're they are creating they're trying to also create the tone with the language they're using in the book. Yes, which yes. I understand that, but also if I'm trying to glean information, it's not the most effective way to give it to me. Necessarily, <laughs> you like technical writing. Yes, <laughs> I am I not do. a technical writing kind of person. Right, um, it, but uh, it reads like slam poetry <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it gets better once you get into like the GM session, but it's the 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 words are specifically meant to be a little ambiguous, right? Because it's supposed to be a little ambiguous in how you use it, so you that you can. Uh, like all of the rules in it are ambiguous, right? Um, and that's that's 
specific. Uh, but also there are things like when it talks about asking leading questions or giving giving the player, I think it actually says like once in a while, uh, let the players do this. Right. As opposed to all the time. Oh, yeah. So, Absolutely. You know, that, there may be groups that really, really, really love that. Um, but uh, I have been pulling... I've been pulling way back from what is is now uh, like going turning from being called hippie games to collaborative storytelling. I'm just like pulling back a little bit from that because I think it's going way over to an extreme. Right. Yeah. I I, I mean, it, it, I, I think people are taking the stuff that they liked out of Apocalypse World and making it more that mm-hmm. as they as they make the more and more clone. Powered by the Apocalypse clones. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, oh, and, and, and someone in the chat room also brought up the, especially as non native speaker uh, reading Apocalypse World, if English <laughs> is not your first language, there's going to be things that's like, what? <laughs> he says, he, 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 read the sitch. Try to read the stuff about GMing. If if it's very difficult for you to read the actual rules, because the stuff like the section that is for the MC, mm-hmm. um, I think is where the real meat of what can help your game, um, as opposed to what is a sitch. Well, it's very difficult to know that's a situation. Um, but uh, um, how to approach um, a game and the idea of of having these different threats that are reacting dynamically to what the players are doing um, I find to be a great way to run a game as opposed to coming up with a story and then having the players do it and then modifying the stories if the players do stuff so it, it becomes like instead of a straight line it becomes like this weird snake thing to maybe a different ending um, I really like this uh, concept where you you create all of these uh bad guys and there isn't necessarily a big bad guy but all these threats and places that will affect the characters and then you let the characters bounce against them and see what happens right um and just having that being able to to grok that concept i think can help people even if you like writing stories and change it just having that concept like in your arsenal i think makes you a better gm yeah i agree all right that's it we're at the end. Any other, any other thing you want to mention or anything? Nope. Okay. All right. Nope. Where is the thing? Oh, wrong one. Thank you for joining us for season twenty-eight, episode ten of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Happy. And thank you to the those of you who uh, made it into the chat room. Uh, we appreciate your. Uh, your feedback and your comments and we'll see you next week Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific time happyjacks.org slash live until then stay safe and we will see you then Uh, bye
make when you no problem have you don't want to make. The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, bum, bum.